Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. When was the last time you felt seriously out of place? When did you last feel completely like you didn't fit in. I remember this vivid experience um, when I went country dancing for the first time. All right. So like I, uh, I mean, I, I have, you know, over my life had very suburban experiences, very urban experiences. I've lived in both areas. I've got family friends who have variable fortunes and family and friends who have very, very little to live on, avoiding homelessness. But, but nothing could have prepared me for Podunk, Iowa. I mean, I, this, that's my friend's term, by the way. All right? I, I don't know if I have permission to use it. But we went to Podunk, Iowa. And like when you go up to that large gravel parking lot that is so full of pickup trucks that you don't know what to do. I mean, I rolled up there with my little Civic named Nick, is named Humphrey. And I'm just saying it was not a pickup. It was not a pickup. And I got in there and I felt so out of place. It's a pretty common experience, isn't it? Right? I mean, sometimes um, you feel out of place because you just go, oh, I don't, I don't quite match up here. Like, there's something pretty clearly that I don't, I, I, there's, I'm not quite the same, have the same interests or tastes. And um, that's pretty sure because I, I, back then my sneakers did not look like cowboy boots and they still don't. So I did not fit in that way. Um, but there's also times when it's not that you don't match up, it's, it's that you start to feel like I don't measure up, like I'm out of my league, or I'm not sure I quite fit in this crew of people in this position, it's one of the most unnerving human experiences to feel like you just don't belong. And yet, it's a really common one under the surface. Minnesotans hide it really well, or at least try to. But if you look pretty closely, we've all felt that at different times probably more than we'd like to admit. But here's the thing I see in Colossians chapter 1, 21 through 23. As horrible as the feeling is naturally, it's actually a pretty helpful one spiritually. Feeling out of place. Look at this. Let me try and sum up. This is one sentence in a whole paragraph because Brother Paul doesn't know what a period is. All right, but like here's one sentence condensed into three phrases because this is the meat of it. You, Colossians, you, church, he has reconciled past to present you future if you continue present. That's the whole sentence. Whole paragraph, three phrases. He has reconciled you to present you in the future if you continue in the present. That's all that's going on here. But let's, let's just sort of peel back the layer once, okay? So if you go, he has reconciled past. The, the Colossians were separated from God. And not just by distance. Granted, they, like, they were not in Jerusalem. They were in Colossae. But, but by disposition. 
There was something about them that stood in open rebellion, in opposition to the living God, right? They, they did not jive with, did not agree with, did not come under the one who is the king of creation, nor did they at first receive the one who's the king of all redemption. They, when they got told the gospel, were confronted squarely with their own kind of self-reliance. Their way of doing things, their way of living, a very similar way to the way that many in our time do. We, we do our own thing in our own way without regard for God, and even in opposition to God. And all of the effect of that kind of self-reliance produced a whole myriad of different sin tendencies in their community that affected their relationships and made them broken. And, and it became pretty clear, as it is around us, when you look at life, that something about a relationship with God is broken until it gets broken reconciled. And what happened to this church is that they had been reconciled to God, put into right relationship with God. They'd been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. They'd been out of the family, and now they're in the family in his kingdom. That happened in the past. And then there was a purpose for it. The purpose was to present them in the future holy and blameless. The, this church is now living with real hope in the world. They have a hope of heaven, but also a hope in the present. And not so much one where they're floating on clouds and just sort of like la-la land, but the essence of heaven, right? Which is God. It's his place. It's his presence where God dwells. And these believers now truly believe that they were going to be with their maker. They were going to live face to face with their creator. One day they would meet him. And not just for a day, but for eternity. They had the hope of heaven to be with the beloved son. And to dwell in his kingdom as a part of his family forever. But then there's the present. If you continue. You see, this church at Colossae is just like us. They live in the in-between. Their future is one of holiness, but they, they're, not, they're not quite so holy yet, just like some of us, right? They have been set apart, but now their problem, even their challenge is how do they continue to, to live as ones who are set apart for the Lord? How do they walk that out? So if you just review what's happened to these people, they, they, have been they have received the Lord as their king. They have been rescued from darkness, transferred into his kingdom. And, and watch this. They're in a kingdom, but they don't yet resemble the king. They're in a place where they don't quite fit the norms of how things work. They are in every way, just like Christians, in a place that they don't quite match up. The Colossian church and us as a church were kingdom misfits. Kingdom misfits. Think about this. 
when Jesus came on the scene and he announced the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom's here, and it's at hand, this new reign of blessing and of justice and of peace, this righteous place is here and you can be a part of it. That's what Jesus announced in Mark's gospel. He said, hey, the kingdom's here. It's attractive. People were drawn to his message. They wanted to hear what he had to say, and they even wanted to be in that place because where they were living, especially under Roman oppression, was not so great. But they wanted to be in the kingdom, just like how we conceive of the kingdom would be, yes, I'd, I'd much rather live there than live here. It's attractive. But Jesus also said in Mark chapter 1 that the, the kingdom also comes with a call. Right? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. But then what does he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. So somehow, we're not headed in the right direction when Jesus comes announcing the kingdom. And he's asking us to turn around and head in a different path. It's as if to say, they were then, and we are now in our time, not yet fit as we are for the kingdom. There's something out of alignment. The kingdom we long for, we ourselves are not fit for. I mean, think about this for a second. If I was to go to the place where all peace ruled and reigned, pretty soon I'm about to bring conflict into that place, right? If, if I was to go to the place where justice was the norm, Within hours, my family will tell you, I probably will treat someone unfairly. If I was to go to that land where only there was love, my own selfishness and self-centeredness would screw it up pretty fast. There is, in many ways, the truth in this text that we, as we are at present, are in the kingdom, but not yet fit for the kingdom. We don't belong. But God is in the process of making us, fitting us, so that we do belong. We were created for the kingdom, but sin has come and ruled and reigned and wrecked our lives and our world such that we don't experience the kingdom. And, and the, 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 the truth of the church at Colossae and the truth of the church at Armitage here this morning is that we are a motley crew that doesn't quite fit. But if we continue, one day we will. This is why Jesus speaks so much of judgment, by the way. Did you ever notice that? All through the Gospels, he's speaking about the coming judgment. He even alludes to it in the opening announcement of the kingdom. Christ has to clean house, as it were. In order for these realities of peace and justice and love to actually come about. I mean, and you, as the, as the owner of your house, have all right to clean your house. And Jesus, as the owner of this house, has every right to clean his house. And it's actually true, if you think about judgment, by the way, that you want it. Because if you want a place where injustice is gone, then it has to be judged. If you want a place where peace reigns, then all that makes for a lack of peace has to be excluded. If you want a place where love is the norm, then anything that's unloving or unselfish has to be done away with. Your very heart cries out for a kind of judgment that then produces the kind of place 
you were created for and that you ache for. There's a pastor in our church planning network, Hunter Beaumont, and he says it like this, says it well. This, this gospel of the kingdom we want, but the call to repent and say we must go another way, it presents us with a dilemma. Because on the one hand, we need God's judgment to create the world we long for. But on the other hand, how could we endure it? Okay, okay, pastor. <laughs> You're getting after it. We're talking judgment. We're, like we're getting into it this morning. And why? Well, because that feeling that's so horrible naturally, being out of place, is a helpful one spiritually. It's what this church and what Christians feel at times. Because if you are not a Christian, the truth of God's word is you will face judgment. And the crazy thing is, there is a creator and king, and not just is he the king who, deserve, who can judge, but he's the redeemer who can judge, who's entered into our mess, offering us a way out of judgment. And the thing about judgment is, if you even were to try and stand up to your own ideals, you would fall far short. How much less God's ideals? And if you are a Christian, you will also face judgment just not alone. Because there is one who will present you, meaning stand by you, and who has promised to complete you, holy, blameless, above reproach. You don't stand alone on that day, but you stand glorious on that day. You truly you really are in the kingdom, even though you don't yet fully resemble the king. I think Paul says it well, but perhaps the apostle John says it even clearer. Let me see if I can read to you John's gospel or John's, John's letter, chapter three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then keep going. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And thus, everyone, everyone, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Do you see it? We don't yet fit the kingdom, but yet we've been transferred into the kingdom. And we live in this unique time in history where something past has happened, reconciliation done, something futures promised. We will be glorious and blameless. And in the present, there's a real challenge to continue in the faith. This is the challenge before kingdom misfits. What do they do? What does the church at Colossae do? What are they called to? Well, they're called to continue. That's Paul's word to them. Continue in the faith.
All right, so there's the primer. That was all set up, by the way. We'll be here for another couple hours. Um, no, come on. But I want to go back through this, this sort of like chrono chronological flow, right, of past and then future and then present. Because let's get into it a little bit more, having the frame that, that we are someplace that we don't quite belong fully to yet. We do belong, but we don't quite fit in yet. And here it is. He has reconciled past to present you future if you continue present. And you, verse 21, if you're reading along or if you're looking, I think it's there, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body by his death. Alienated is a relational word. It means estranged, separated from, hostile, means opposed, the enemy of, enemy in thoughts and enemy in intention. And mind, then, for, therefore, is hostile in mind, is not just sort of like this intellectual organ of the body. What he's getting at there is it's, it's, the, it's the mindset, it's the, it's the posture, it's the disposition of a person that then leads to evil deeds. It's not evil deeds that produces the mindset. It's a mindset. It's a core reality that then produces the actions in terms of evil deeds. That's crucial for Paul because it works on the flip side as well. When your mindset is one of hope of heaven, when your mindset is set on Christ, then all of a sudden these holy deeds start to come from you. But when your mindset, your disposition is in opposition to God, then all of a sudden these evil deeds start to flow from you. Your disposition determines your deeds. I'm starting to work out. I mean, I know I need to. And, uh, you know, I need to. And uh, I've been trying to get some friends to do it with me. Um, one of them actually came to our little sledding event yesterday. And uh, we were rapping a little bit about boxing because a shadow boxing workout is actually a pretty big workout for me. It's just like punching the air, but it gets me. And uh, so, but we we're kind of joking that like we've tried different things, you know. First it was going to be like, you know, we might lift some weights. And then it was like, oh, you know, my back, let's do some yoga. Or like, and then it was like, let's try boxing. And, um, but we haven't quite done it consistently. I think because our mindset is still all focused on our method. <laughs> and so we're content to sort of keep trying new things rather than consistently do something. Um, and the mindset, therefore, affects the actions that come. There's a, a well-known pastor who says it this way in our time. He says, you're always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So your mindset matters, which means what are your repeated thoughts? Are your repeated thoughts in hostility against God? Or are they in humility before God? Because whatever cycles around in your mind repeatedly, strongly, will determine the actions that follow. But let's just be fair. Hostile, evil deeds, that doesn't feel very Minnesotan. Like, I mean, like, we need, we need the, the, the Minnesota nice translation. Like, a different, like, how does this actually play out for us? I don't, I don't feel hostile. I mean, I don't know. Like, does they feel hostile? Like, what does it mean to be in opposition to God? Here's what I would suggest. Two things. 
First, it means that you want your future over God's future. There is in our city a disregard for God, a disregard for his word, and a disregard to live and please God. There is a high regard for self, for our own words and expression, and for our own dreams that we would live to please self. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but our city is literally filled with students, professionals, and transplants to the area who have come here for their dreams. Like if you just do the, the data, there are hundreds of thousands of students in the Twin Cities area. There are so many corporate jobs available and tons more housing being built to house those who work in those jobs. This is the place where so many people come for their future. And in effect, what happens then is people live for themselves. They live with their own dreams, which is why we sing that song, by the way. Because we need to come time and time again as Christians to go, my dreams don't love me like you do. That speaks to us. Because the people that make up this area all have dreams, passions, desires, ambitions. And so to live in opposition to God looks nothing less than just living for self with disregard for the Lord. It's our future over God's future. But not only that, disregard or opposition to the Lord looks like connection justifying rejection. Let me, let me see if I can clarify. Connection justifying rejection. So there is in the culture of this city a kind of religious heritage. I wonder if you know it. Most everyone that you speak to has some connection to religion. They have a family member who's Baptist or an aunt who's Presbyterian or somebody who's Methodist or Catholic or Lutheran or Baptist. There is some connection to religion, but the connection's pretty dead. Meaning that the loose connection someone feels to either that time or a two that they went to their aunt's Christmas or holiday service, or the times that they got dragged to their grandmama's church, is such that I've been there, done that. There's nothing for me there. I know enough about the Christian religion that I'm gonna go in my own direction. And in fact, I'm going to piece together a kind of not anti-spiritualism, but spiritualism that will give me a sense of purpose and meaning. But the problem is it's a kind of spiritualism without truth. It's pieced together by fragmented videos on YouTube or someone and so-and-so said this and that. There's no scholarship. There's no history. There's, there's no sourcing. There's no, there's no verified information. It is a whole spiritual life devoid from truth, of our own making. Hostility, opposition to God. Oh, by the way, all that's cloaked in being nice and kind to others. Sound like Minnesota? Yeah. Let's show them the compassion of Jesus. Let's show them the heart of our King. Let's show them that they can be reconciled and begin walking in the truth. 
that there is a kingdom of love and of light whose king reigns now here in this place. Even though we don't fully look like him, we can represent him because our city needs him. Oh gosh, I'm on my way. Some of you here have been there. Some of you here are still there. But there is a God speaking today, speaking now, who can reconcile you and take what's broken and make it whole. Not so that you just have a nice experience, but so you have a hope of heaven that will one day last forever and that will impact what's present. So the future, we got to get to the future. He has reconciled us past in order to present you future. And how is he going to present us? Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This reconciliation has a purpose. I love the way one scholar said it. He said, we are holy by status as Christians, and we are to become holy in reality. Not just our position, but our practice is to become holy. And I think this word to present is probably best illustrated by a parallel passage in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Here's what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Here it is so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's a happy marriage. A husband who sacrifices and loves and serves and cleans and encourages and builds up. That's a happy marriage. And that's the kind of relationship Jesus wants with his church, to present them blameless. Now, there's more than just purpose here. There's this heightened prose that I think we probably miss because we're English speakers and readers. And if you don't see it, I think you miss Paul's heart in this passage. So holy, aios, blameless, amenos, above reproach, amenkletos. Aios, amenos, amenkletos. Okay, still might not pop, but perhaps there's maybe another one that's more familiar to you. Um, if I was to say, and you can join in here, ready? I came, I saw, come on, I conquered. Who is that? That's Julius Caesar, the great commander of the Roman army. And he when he originally spoke those phrases, said it even more powerfully. We can remember the English, but do you want to know what the Latin is? Anybody? Veni, vidi, vici. Veni, vidi, vici. Can you imagine him just sort of like standing over some battlefield? Or he's like, I don't know, back at Rome. Just, I mean, it's powerful in the alliteration. Maybe we need a better modern day one, okay? All right, we got any Queen fans out there? Let's see. We will, we will. Oh, come on, there it is. Ayos, 
amenos, anencletos. Paul is literally talking them up. He's trying to inspire them about the glory to come. And he's using this simple alliteration to go, come on, church. Glory, holiness, blameless, beauty. It's coming for you. If you continue in the faith, he will present you. Ayos, amenos, anencletos. Make sense? So, what would it mean for you in light of that glorious future to take the next step in faith? Because the reality is, we often don't continue, not because we forgot the past, but because we're not compelled by the future. And so could you, church, grow ever more compelled by what's coming for us so that you might continue and trust God with your next step? All right, we got to go. We got to go. The present. He has reconciled past. He has, he's going to present you future. And then if you continue present, what is the church called to? They're called to continue. This phrase at the end, I want to not leave it to hanging for you in case you wonder, but it says, from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, that's a weird phrase because it goes, wait a minute, has the gospel been proclaimed everywhere under heaven? You go, definitely not at that time, and probably not quite in our time either. So what's he getting at there? He's trying to, again, paint the future, right? He's emphasizing that the work has already begun that will be carried forward into all creation. And he's even exaggerating so that they would know that there is one universal and complete answer to spiritual fulfillment for everyone. And it's Jesus. And so he says, if indeed you continue, that's kind of hard. I mean, if you really read that, anybody stop in their tracks? We say, if you continue, he'll present you. And you have here, I think, this, this perfect balance of divine generosity. He's promised all power to the church according to his glorious might, right? He is so for the church. Remember that picture of Christ the husband? Divine, divine um, generosity, but also human responsibility. He is not leaving the church without something to do. And so from the divine standpoint, right, genuine, genuine faith can be assured that you will make it to be presented holy and blameless. But from the human standpoint, right, you have to discover that kind of faith within you and within others by persevering in the faith, right? Genuine faith from the Lord's perspective is it's there, and full assurance of completion is there. But from the human vantage point, the way that you find full assurance or gain full assurance is by continuing in the faith. If you continue in the faith, the faith here is viewed as a place. It's talking about locality, geography. It's this gospel as sort of a, a place, a realm, a kingdom, a house. If you stay there, he's saying, 
and not just stay there, but he goes on to talk about building materials. This is the ancient work of, of building a structure. That's what all this language is about. It is to be stable and steadfast. That's the word for establishing a firm foundation. That's the positive side, right? Stable and steadfast. And then you see the negative side? Not shifting, not departing from the building, from the walking with Lord. He is saying, lay a foundation, stay and build the house, continue in the path that you have, constructing this great house of faith. And so with the view of the past and with the vention of the future, Paul's calling them to continue in the present. And I'll be square with you, it's real direct. It's like he's looking at you as he looked at them saying, you have to continue. It's firm, but there's a purpose to it. And there's something within us I know that's going to, if we really wrestle with that, going to feel it. We as a society don't gravitate towards responsibility. We tend to shirk it. And Paul is saying, take responsibility for your faith. Continue in the way. And humanly speaking, that might be a problem for us because it puts a little onus upon us. And it begs that question of like, how does God actually view the gap between the present and the future? When he looks at you and sees, oh, this is where you are now. I know we're talking blameless, holy in the future, but when he sees the gap, because he still sees it, between where you are now and what you will be, who you are and what you will become, how does God feel about that? Because we might feel about that some kind of way. I don't, I don't know if I feel so encouraged when I look at where I am now and where I need to go. And, and if you're telling me I got to continue, well, now I'm not, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm on solid ground. But how does the Lord feel about it? I think the key is actually in the previous verse. If you go back to verse 19, you see this incredible gem. Because humanly speaking, this can appear to be quite the problem. To have people who receive Jesus not yet resemble Jesus. And if you're a skeptic of the faith, that's probably one of your reasons for holding off on believing. Is to say, yeah, I met some Christians. They're not so great. They still got some issues. They're hypocrites. But watch this. For in him, all the fullness of God was what? Pleased to dwell. My gospel community sat this week talking about these verses, mixing up these words, and we realized that pleased is literally, and God was, is this incredibly powerful and unique phrase in the whole hymn that goes before. It's almost like Paul is highlighting the pleasure of God to both dwell in Jesus, and then it's also connected grammatically to reconcile through Jesus all things to himself, which means that the Lord views the gap that you face between who you are and who you will be, not as a problem, but as his pleasure. He views where you are and the process that you're in and, and, and the work that needs to be done in order to renew you as pleasure. He's not looking at you going, man, would she get her act together? 
He's not shaking his head. He's literally saying, my heart beats. It is my pleasure to reconcile. It's my pleasure to renew. It's my pleasure to one day present you. This ain't a problem for me. It's what I want to be doing. Molding, shaping, renewing you into the likeness of Christ. Fitting you for heaven. It's not God's problem. It's his pleasure. He is for you, with you, in the way that any good father would be. And one of my boys right now is just learning to talk. So um, he doesn't have a lot of words, just a handful of them. And um, we're always encouraging him to talk. So it's like, you know, the, my other kids are obnoxious about it. They're always telling, hey, say this word, say this word. It's like he can't get any rest. But when, but when little Jude says something like, uh, Chuck, when he's been prompted to say, Chuck, do I sit there and I go, man, he, if he could just say Chuck better? No! Whatever, whatever is coming out of his mouth, whatever he's fumbling to say, I'm literally clapping and going, come on, buddy, you got this. If, if, if I, as an earthly father, am championing the fumbling of words or, or the first steps and stumbles of my own kids, how much more is our heavenly father saying, it's my pleasure to see you grow up. It's my joy to see you continue. That next step, I'm so happy you took it. That trip up, I'm here to help you up. You have a God who is pleased to reconcile, pleased to renew, and it will be his great pleasure to present you in glory. So, do you see your struggles this way? And if not, what would change if you started to see them the way God sees them? And you started to pursue that glorious future that you have now in the present. Let's pray for strength and grace that we would do that.